0: welcome to the battleground wisconsin my name is matt brusky and i'm the deputy director here at citizen action of wisconsin and welcome to another week from uh, sunny spring-like sometimes winter-like wisconsin we have our full panel with us which means claire zauke our healthcare director here at citizen action is with us claire good to see you
1: Thank you. Good to see you
0: too on this sunny day. No, oh, and you've been busy this week. We will talk more about this uh, big healthcare week of action you have been uh, helping lead here at Citizen Action and with many of our partners. But first, our other panelist, Robert Craig, is also with us. Robert. It's great to see you.
2: Greetings to our digital and our radio audience.
0: So it is up. Uh, it's been an extraordinarily busy week. And I say that in a positive way. Uh, I feel like for, uh, for the last few years, every time I say that, it's been uh, just a series of bad news. And we're actually going to start this podcast with something that is, um, I'll say it, historic. And that is uh, Joe Biden, uh, big news yesterday, uh, introduced his $2 trillion infrastructure and jobs plan that um, he has said, we cannot delay. He has described it as essentially historic. He is putting it on the scale of New Deal programs, saying this would be the biggest program since World War II. Huge, huge program. Uh, And we are going to spend our first segment here talking about its importance. Robert, I'm going to go to you first, because there is some Major stuff in here overall, provide some perspective, but then um, we should immediately highlight some huge things that are in here that Citizen Action has been uh, supporting for some time. Robert?
2: Yeah, and little context here. This is going to go through a very elaborate legislative process. So there's a lot of content to it, but it will be changed, and progressives can add things and, uh, and, uh, and negotiations, and of course, moderates like Joe Manchin could affect it. So we're talking about a very developed framework here, but not the final product, most likely. And we'll get to the politics are interesting as far as what progressives in Congress like AOC are saying about it. Uh, but it is, by any modern standards, you have to go back to the 60s or the 30s, a very large program that would make a huge investment in the United States in a way that would create millions of jobs and everything is focused on family supporting and union jobs, uh, that would start a major green transition. And that's a huge focus because we need that to prevent a climate catastrophe and then deal with economic inequality, which has risen to uh, 19th century levels in the last 40 years under both Democratic and Republican presidents. And and in so doing dramatically reduce race-based inequality, the structural racism that is obviously still baked into our economy. And so taken as a whole, this is exciting, it is 2.2 trillion over uh, eight years, but folks should understand that AOC, for example, is already saying that's not nearly enough and we need a lot more than that. Uh, And as far as a green transition, she's correct and so they'll probably be trying to make it bigger we'll see how and we'll, and probably the engagement of progressive activists will play a role in what package comes through it is funded in the first stage by raising corporate tax rates not all the way back to the t- tax rates paid under obama bush clinton reagan uh but part way there Nonetheless, the Republicans are claiming it some horrible tax increase. We knew once they lowered them dramatically under Trump that they would claim that was the new normal. So that's to be expected. People should understand that it makes it more popular. So do not shy away from that. That makes it even more popular. Uh, but I, don't, I, wanna, I know Claire has things she wants to, to, to uh, hone in on, but I'll just say quickly. There's massive fixing of highways, not new highways or expanding of highways, rebuilding bridges, a a modern transportation system, massive investments. This is something we're working on, uh, which is energy retrofitting of of homes, millions of homes and commercial buildings to make them energy efficient and, and to put them on renewable energy to electrify. To, to create a huge effective modern electricity grid and charging stations for electric cars. So a lot of the things for a green transition uh, that are very important. But with that, let me just, since I've gone on a bit, allow Claire maybe to talk about the exciting part of caregiving and any other things she wants to weigh in on that, if that's okay. Yeah, yep. no, I, I
0: think that'd be great. Cause Claire, it's a huge, huge piece, 400 billion. Tell our listeners more.
1: Yeah, this is really exciting. This is something that um, we, along with our national partner Caring Across Generations, have been working for um, for since the uh, Biden was just running for president, basically saying this is. a a big part of the American economy that is going to just continue growing for the next several decades. Um, And it really needs to be a priority uh, of the president. And and so the American Jobs Act that just came out um, that the president just introduced uh, really makes good on his campaign promise to invest hundreds of billions of dollars into the care economy. Um, and so like Robert said, specifically the dollar amount here in this in this legislation is $400 billion. Uh, and the money uh, will go towards a few things. It will uh, primarily invest in what we call home and community-based services. These are things that allow people Um, who need long-term care services, whether because they are older Americans or um, because they have disabilities to live in their community and in their own homes. Um, And if they don't want to, to not have to be in a nursing home, uh, they can receive care in in their own home. Um, And this is increasingly a way that people are preferring to age and in which they're preferring to receive care. And so, uh, so this is important because there are just not enough people in these jobs and not enough access to these services. And then all across the country, there are wait lists for home and community-based services. There's a shortage of caregivers in Wisconsin that gets covered a lot. And we talk about this all the time, that one of the reasons why there is a shortage of professional caregivers and because there are wait lists for these services is because we just can't draw and keep people to these fields. Um, They're incredibly important jobs, hard jobs, um, but they're under Valued and underpaid. And so this $400 billion investment will allow people to transition to home and community-based services. And it will also allow caregivers, um, I think it directs caregivers to have higher benefits and to earn um, higher wages. And hopefully this will help address the caregiver shortage all over the country. Um, And the last thing I'll say about this is that this is actually like a really big um, health equity issue and economic equity issue because the vast majority of caregivers, professional caretakers across the country are women, women of color in particular and immigrants. And so the ability to have well-paying living wage jobs with benefits um, and have the president investing in these is, is basically like putting, um, putting money and respect into this important field that is populated by people who um, are often lacking that level of respect from, uh, from our society. So this is, this is a really, really inci- exciting provision of the American Jobs Act.
2: Let me just add, because, you know, Claire, and this probably wears better than my polemics Is Wisconsin nice, these jobs are horribly paid without benefits because it's a woman dominated and women of color dominated profession. So this is structural racism and structural sexism, and it will not change unless there's a huge federal intervention with resources. Uh, we've been fighting at the, at the state level. We've not made any progress, including having a full coalition on this of all the uh, aging and disability groups, which, which is a lot of political power, no, very, no movement. So this is absolutely critical. And that's true of a lot of other parts of this agenda. If we simply pour money into a standard infrastructure program like the Republicans want, which is simply rebuilding fossil fuel infrastructure and, uh, and the, uh, the infrastructure we needed in the 1950s, right? Then the jobs will go to the people already positioned to get them, which is disproportionately people who are already privileged, right? Middle-class white folks. If we, we have to put different structures in and create union opportunities, unionization opportunities in order to, and training opportunities in order to make, that, to, to make these available to the folks locked out of the economy, again, disproportionately both people of color in cities and a lot of rural folks, which is rural uh, areas are multiracial, but they're more predominantly white in general. And this will help a lot of the uh, revitalization of both our cities and our our declining rural areas and prevent a climate genocide by, by putting it into that and create massive economic growth. So,
0: I wanna talk more about this in the next uh, segment. You both raise really important things, these aspects of what is an infrastructure bill, and it is these types of uh, programs that are gonna, of course, come under fire from the Republicans. So when we get back from the break, I wanna talk more about the political future. Robert, you started by mentioning there will be negotiations, this will change, it will look different. Um, I wanna talk more about that and talk about it because we've been talking about the filibuster. And so I wanna talk about this in relation to Biden's overall strategy about how to sequence all of the stuff that he's doing. And let's talk prospects for the infrastructure bill when we get back on the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the historic infrastructure bill that uh, President Biden introduced yesterday. um, In the first segment, if you missed it, uh, Claire and Robert did an excellent job of laying out some very key provisions that are in it beyond just some of what you might think of as sort of core infrastructure. But I'd like to have a discussion now, uh, and Claire, get your thoughts. Um, Y'all laid this out. uh, Caregiving right? Uh, Green New Deal. These things are definitely already have come under fire from Republicans. We know uh, what the vote count is in the Senate. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the prospects and why also probably it's incredibly important we start to build public pressure in order to start to move this forward. Uh, Claire, your thoughts on handicapping the future?
1: Mm Hmm. Um, uh, folks have heard me say this before. I am am kind of given up on trying to predict exactly what I think will happen uh, with legislation. So here's what I'll say. Um, The things that we highlighted are the things that we are most excited about and that we think are among the most important things in this bill, but there are other more traditional infrastructure investments in this bill uh, that people in both parties uh, will support. And uh, in that I think includes things that Republicans will like. So for example, there is over $600 billion in road infrastructure investments, You know, $100 billion in broadband investments, um, several billion dollars in uh, replacing lead laterals and lead pipes, right? Which um, is a big thing here in Wisconsin we talk about. So I think there's things in here that will have bipartisan support. I think the question is gonna be, can all of this get done in one bill or will it get split apart um, by Congress maybe into two bills, right? Like maybe there'll be a traditional infrastructure bill that Republicans could get behind and then there'll be like another bill that'll be the more controversial stuff um, that will try to move without Republican support. Um, I, I think all of it, ultimately a big question is gonna be is um, that you know, Republicans are not happy about raising taxes. And this is something Biden has talked about, right? Like we need to pay for this somehow and we're not gonna pay for it on the backs of um, low and middle class working folks. Um, so that, that's what I think is gonna come down to be the crux of the issue is, is what is the revenue for this? How are we gonna pay for it? Um, and what are the things that we're willing to prioritize over others? Robert?
2: I'm a little more cynical, I think. And I'll say this. No, but come I th- on, Robert. Come on. Come on. As far as who will pay for it, don't buy that. That's the media frame. OK. This is the kind of investment you actually do take out a mortgage for, unlike the, the Trump tax cuts. Trump ran up record deficits during an economic expansion for stuff that didn't build any permanent wealth for most people. OK. So. It, but part, but, you should, but we should roll back, we, we need revenue, so we should use this as an opportunity, because it's more popular to say we're raising corporate taxes, not all the way back, but part of the way back to where they were in order to do this, to connect it to something that's popular. As far as separate bills, one bill, remember, unless we modify the filibuster, budget reconciliation can only be done once a year. The reason we could do it twice this year is because the Republicans didn't even do a budget last year. So we're really getting two bites of the apple once, which means if you split it up, one of those bills will go through budget reconciliation with 50 votes plus Vice President Harris. One of them will require 60. So, okay, if you think there's a 60 that they'll all vote vote for, Republicans just voted against a massively popular rescue plan. Many of them then went to their districts and took credit for elements of it. They, because of their view of power and their, their, their desire to get it back in the midterms, and to take Biden out in four years, will vote against it. And it will have to be done through reconciliation or a modification of the filibuster, which will have to happen if we're going to even hold on to the House and Senate and prevent them from rigging the next elections because of the, the democracy and voting rights bills we need. Now, as far as it gets better or not better, That is interesting. This is going to be the first test of the much larger uh, progressive faction in the House, which is 90 members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and progressive senators versus the very small number of moderate senators that are conservative, really, by any any historical standard, who you still need to get to 50 percent. There are payoffs to Joe Manchin in here already like a massive program to clean up abandoned mines. Very good for West Virginia, for example. And so, and he does, he has said he's for a $4 trillion infrastructure plan. So he does think you could have big big infrastructure plan, but AOC is talking about $10 trillion infrastructure plan. And from the standpoint of preventing climate genocide, or actually uh, eliminating or, or massively reducing racial inequality and economic inequality, she is right. So we'll see how this plays out and we'll all play a role in this because how we are engaging members of Congress and senators will make a difference. And of course, a lot of these details will be haggled out and that's an issue because we don't want anything being implemented in a way that, that frustrates it or undermines it. We want this to be as equitable as effective as possible. And uh, so that's always an issue during the sausage-making process of of federal legislation.
0: Look, folks, oh, sorry, Claire.
1: No, no, I just wanted to say real quick, I realize I didn't answer part of your question about like, what should we be doing? And so I wanna be clear um, with my comments earlier, I wasn't saying I think this will get split into two bills. I'm saying like, I could see there being a lot of negotiating where people come with different proposals about how to handle this. And so I think it's gonna be a long process kind of like it was with the American Rescue Plan, right? Um, But to answer your question about uh, what can we do, um, I would encourage folks to keep paying attention to um, citizen action um, in our website and our um, healthcare action center, because we are gonna be really involved. um, I know my work at least um, with supporting this home and community-based services investment. we're going to be pushing out a digital summit that will happen in partnership with Caring Across Generations in mid-April um, so that will be really cool to tune into online and watch and learn more about this. So there's going to be a lot of ways you can we can plug into um, pressuring our members of Congress to support this bill in its entirety.
2: One thing I can tell you we will push for Senator Tammy Baldwin and four other U.S. senators including the finance chair Ron Wyden who is very powerful are pushing a public jobs program that would make any of these investments far more equitable because it creates a public jobs program that trains people for these new green jobs, employs them in them, but then gives them the skills to join new private sector uh, opportunities. And that is the only way private sector is going to hire folks locked out of the economy. Otherwise, you're going to hire people that already have the skills. And those are disproportionately middle-class suburban white folks. They just are. And so this is critical, and we're going to be working with Senator Baldwin and the other five senators uh, to really push that. They have a developed plan. It's a bill, and it's excellent. We've talked about in Battleground Wisconsin before, but that fits in perfectly with this agenda. It
0: all starts, though, folks. Uh, There is no reason why you can't reach out today. Contact We got two U.S. senators. Reach out. Let them know you support this program. Likewise, uh, your Congress member on the House side, please reach out. Let them know. Let's start building public support. is the only way. It's the best way. So with that, though, we have got to change gears. we got to start to look here at the state level. There is so much happening. uh, A lot of big news this week. I'm going to start by talking about the Supreme Court news that came out yesterday. They overturned a mass mandate. Claire, this is great public health policy. I'm sure the citizens of Wisconsin are rejoicing from being removed from the yoke of having to wear a face mask.
1: You know, if we weren't recording this on April Fool's Day, I might be a little <laughs> a little more shocked to hear I'm you say that.
0: I'm glad you took up that. I was <laughs> thinking of doing something more if it wasn't so disturbing. Your thoughts, Claire.
1: Um Yeah, you know, we've not been, um, we've not been hearing a lot of great decisions, uh, as far as promoting the public health during the pandemic out of the Wisconsin, uh, Supreme Court over the past year. And so, um, this will probably shock no one when I say I wasn't particularly surprised that they struck down this mask mandate. Uh, Um, and, uh, uh, hey, it's funny, I got uh, a text message from uh, one of my friends from college yesterday, and she was like, I'm just so frustrated. She's not like a political person at all. I think I'm her only political friend. She's like, I'm just so frustrated with the Supreme Court. She like, do other states have this terrible relationship between the courts and the and the governor? Um, and so, I, you know, I think even people who don't follow politics and don't follow government are, are seeing that you know, the state Supreme court is making decisions that are not in the best interest of the people of Wisconsin during this pandemic. So, um, yeah, I, I was not surprised. Doesn't also mean that I'm not really, really frustrated. So,
0: yeah. Robert, I'm going to give you a second after the break real quick on this, cause we're going to have to go to break, but, uh, it was interesting. I will point out that, uh, uh, Hagedorn, uh, wrote on this and you could see it was one of these, uh, uh, very short, kind of like embarrassing kind of, uh, while this, it, 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 why do all of red, while this is some of the worst public health policy we could ever imagine, it is technically against the law because the legislature should have done this, but chose not to. So it is unlawful, right? Like, I mean, and essential is just like, look, it's unlawful, but like, we're not backing the public health. You can just see like dripping in the, uh, the thing here, which is shameful, right? <laughs> like that they've come up with this. But we got to take a break, Robert. When we get back, I want to get your thoughts on this and we'll continue to talk about more of the news here in the state of Wisconsin. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are discussing the Supreme Court's pretty weak decision. <laughs> Uh, yesterday to overturn the mask ordinance, uh, mask mandate. I don't think it surprised anyone. Robert, your thoughts?
2: It's a murderous and criminal decision. And we need to think about big picture here. These courts, when they have right-wing majorities, are no longer courts. This is another branch of the legislature. And it's outrageous. The person who filed the lawsuit is a major public donor who gave massive amounts of monies to one of the right-wing justices, Rebecca Bradley. But right-wing judges have determined and decided that's not corruption. That's not legal bribery. Illegal should be illegal bribery. They use a—you shouldn't be fooled. They use a legal formalism to give it the cover of law. And that's very much the way the 19th century right-wing judges decided the 14th Amendment— Created to defend the rights of black folks, defended the rights of corporations and not the rights of black folks. It's the same sort of thing. They find some way to make their angels balance on the pin of a needle. So their little fig leaf is that the governor has 60 days of public health emergency per occurrence, and that the whole pandemic is one occurrence. Okay, we're about to hit wave four of the pandemic. That's what. CDC is saying, what the public health officials in Wisconsin are saying. We have brand new variants. We have new developments. The idea that these are not new occurrences is pure legal formalism. And we know darn well that, I mean, Justice Hagedorn has a little credibility as someone who has ruled independently. The other three would have gone the other way if the governor was a Republican and the legislature was Democratic because that's what they did, those three, to completely change Wisconsin campaign finance law to keep Scott Walker out of jail when he shredded them. Just remember, so they're just legislators, and when you have the right-wing interests, remember who was behind this? This was Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce funded our alleged state chamber of commerce the campaign to take over the Supreme Court, that they've created justices that are not judges, and at this point, you really have to think about whether we should even have a state Supreme Court. I mean, maybe you should have it for appeals on criminal law, but it is a completely American idea that a court gets to decide what, the, uh, what all statutes mean and what the constitution of the state means. In Great Britain, where we got our, our version of, of democracy, the parliament gets to decide through statute. But, you, of course, in this case, you'd have to repeal it. And so the whole thing is an absurd charade. You simply have uh, uh, politicians in robes up there uh, making this decision and risking lives, killing people.
0: We, uh, we have an election coming up next week. And Robert, this discussion reminds us next year, next spring, we'll have another Supreme Court election. Um, these elections have become critically important because as Robert pointed out, this court has become political. It's just politicians in robes and this decision is yet another. It it shocked or surprised no one. But with that, I do want us to uh, switch topics or at least continue on and Claire, this has been a big week here at Citizen Action. Uh, you have been helping with uh, organizers across the state and the full citizen action team, uh, a big giant healthcare week of action that uh, also includes a number of coalition partners. Uh, uh, give our listeners an update. How's it going? And, and uh, how can folks also get involved? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So uh, our healthcare week of action about the state budget is going really well. We've had a tremendous amount of success engaging Wisconsinites from, uh, I mean, like literally in partnership with Main Street Alliance with uh, engaging folks from uh, 31 of the 33 Senate districts in Wisconsin. So uh, we really, really are trying to reach um, every corner of the state. Um, And so we're We're really happy with how many folks have um, stepped up to contact their legislators with meetings, with uh, phone calls, with emails, with sharing their stories at uh, virtual roundtables and virtual press conferences. Uh, I think we're we're generating some good buzz about how important these healthcare investments are in the state budget. Um, and uh, just to remind you, our top issues are, of course, Badger Care expansion, especially with the um, unprecedented trillion and a half new dollars from the American Rescue Plan that would come into the state if we were to pass uh, Badger Care expansion now the creation of a prescription drug affordability board and office um, in the state to help bring down the price of excessively expensive drugs, Um, investments in the the state's caregiving workforce in Governor Evers' budget that are sort of mirrored by the ones at the federal level that we just talked about. Um, And of course the creation of a state public option that would allow anybody to purchase their insurance through the state. So these are these are really important issues that we're talking about And uh, our week of action is going well, but we are obviously going to keep talking about healthcare after just this week. So um, keep an eye on your email inboxes and look out for word from your local co-op organizers uh, who work for Citizen Action, because there's going to be many, many more opportunities to plug into this effort even after this week.
2: Robert, any thoughts? Not much more to add on top of what Claire said, other, other than do not assume that we're doomed on this, the extra, and by the way, Claire is much more precise than most people I know, but it's not 1.6 trillion, it's 1.6 billion extra that we would get if we took the Care expansion, but, I, but that's, that's okay, trillion, a trillion and billion are big I'll, numbers. I'll take
0: the trillion. That sounds yeah, good Yeah, we'll to take me. the trillion. I want to and live in
2: Claire's world. <laughs> And so there's a huge possible inducement uh, leading assembly. Folks are trying to claim that it's dead and using dog whistle racism, calling it welfare over and over again. People don't consider badger care welfare. A lot of rural folks use it. Dairy farmers use it for God's sake. It's people who don't have good insurance at work, who have relatively low income. And we're, we're, co- we're paying more to cover fewer people. And so we need to keep the pressure on, but remember, This is a redistricting year, so this is the time to hold them accountable to the extent you put pressure on them and they vote against what the public wants, because polls are really clear. Then we have an issue to run against them on. Now, because we actually want to help people, we would rather they come along and and we gladly give away this electoral issue. But in their case, of course, we know they never give away electoral issues but this is the way to expose them. And the, we, these folks do not know what kind of district they'll be in. And of course, we'll be working on redistricting as well because they'll try to steal the election. So, and by the way, those of us who, not everyone, because we have a radio audience, is a member of Citizen Action Wisconsin, you can go out to our website, sign up for our, our alerts, and, and you can also join. But either way, you would start getting Claire's updates on what's happening in the healthcare fight and, and the updates of our other our, our organizers.
0: And with that, folks, please, uh, I, I really, we can't underscore how important it is. If you haven't had a chance to reach out to your state legislators on our health care action plan, please do. Please do that now. We'll have links how uh, you can do that. Claire mentioned uh, we have an excellent health care action site on our on our website. So we'll have a link to that. Please, please uh, do that this week. Make sure uh, your representatives and senators have heard from you. But. Uh, we have to talk a little elections, folks. I think if you listen to the Battleground podcast, you're well aware. Uh, we have a critical statewide election for the Department of Public Instruction, our superintendent, and Citizen Action has endorsed Jill Underly. And uh, this race is, it's wide open. It's impossible to tell, um, but it is really critical. Claire, have you have you voted yet? Uh uh, just want to remind people, if you have an absentee ballot, you got to get that in. At this point, uh, you, should, you should still be good dropping it in the mail, but I'd encourage you to go, uh, go take it in, go drop it off at this point. But early voting continues to be available uh, through this week, and if you get a chance to vote early. But again, the election's next Tuesday. Claire, have you voted yet?
1: I have not. I have my ballot on my desk Get a sitting oh. next to me. Uh, my sister and I have plans to vote together this weekend by filling out our ballots and dropping them off at the uh, ballot box in front of our neighborhood library. So we have a plan to vote.
0: I don't, I don't know if the doctors voted uh, yet. Uh, Robert, have you had a chance to vote? Did you vote absentee this time? Well,
2: no, because the, I live alone, we're in a pandemic and the ridiculous. Ballot witnessing provision, like they're going to check the signatures of ballot witnesses, it's just another hurdle in voting. And the Republicans would like Makes to. It, I know, so I'm going to only go only in Milwaukee though, and vote in person. And in the spring election, it's pretty darn safe in the Bayview neighborhood where I where I live. So I'm going to vote that way. Uh, but obviously, this is a critical election, and a low turnout election. And we have one candidate, Deb Kerr, that is the stealth right wing candidate claiming to be bipartisan. And then we have a I mean, Jill Underly is the best Department of Public Construction candidate I've seen since it. I mean, much better than any I've seen since I've uh, since I've really been involved in politics here in Wisconsin. The previous progressive is good was Bert Grover, but that's a little bit before uh, my time in the early 90s and the late 80s.
0: Robert, I'm going to step in because uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Jill, before, but after this break, we got to take a break because we're up against it. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the very, very important spring general election, Tuesday, April 6th. In case you are calendar challenged, that's next Tuesday, folks. Uh, If you are holding an absentee ballot, you need to get it back. Uh, And if you haven't, you can go vote early. If you listen to this, most of your municipalities are still open Friday. Go vote early. Some are open on the weekend, but uh, otherwise Tuesday, get in and vote on Tuesday. Robert, uh, you were talking about Jill Underly and how she is quite possibly one of the strongest superintendent candidates uh, we've seen in, in a long time here in Wisconsin.
2: We did an in interview. I was just very impressed. She has a serious vision for equal education opportunity and actually helping all those urban schools and uh, rural schools that are under-resourced and, and need the most resources and and moving away from the test and punish regime which does not measure quality at all it simply measures poverty rates right it doesn't measure how effective a school is and so i'm very impressed and the reason i could compare i didn't i wasn't around when bert grover was the dpi secretary in the 80s but he then went to the board of regents and i was a graduate student and a student activist and he was just fantastic on the Board of Regents. He was incredibly progressive and smart and, and strategic and had great policy ideas, uh, shocked the other Regents. Those Regents used to be, you know, a lot of those people are, people they're there for the, for the prestige and, the, uh, and, and the, the nice lunches, right? So and they're political appointees, like ambassadors, right? It's like a reward. And so I'm very impressed that she would actually drive the ball forward and have a serious agenda uh, and, and really use, just like we've seen with Sarah Godlewski as treasurer, use this, the full power of this office to advance uh, 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 the real goal of a, of a guaranteed high quality education for every kid in Wisconsin.
0: So before we wrap up the show, we actually, there's one other topic that we want to make sure gets some sunshine. And that is what the Republicans have been up to. Um, with these, with their elections committee, I, they've been having these sham hearings. We, I think we talked about the first one that they had. These have been hearings to try to quote, look in and investigate what happened in the last election, the 2020 election. Uh, they're complete sham hearings. They are invited guests only. The first one of these was basically a series of conspiracy theories Uh, And yesterday, on Wednesday, they had another one of these, where they continued to present absolutely no evidence of any, any wrongdoing, you know, and we'll remind you that uh, Wisconsin went through multiple recounts, validating, there were numerous court challenges, nothing, they presented nothing. And uh, again, this is a committee that uh, includes Joe Sanfilippo, one of the 15 QAnon Seditious legislators who actually were willing to overthrow the election and now have the audacity to go in and question Megan Wolf the way they did, uh, who is the uh, uh, leads heads the election commission. She did a fabulous it, job it, of laying out it, the Matt, facts. It's, also, it's just unbelievable. But Matt, this the is committee is
2: chaired by the committee is also chaired by one of the on fifteen. So yeah,
0: it it is this. It is unbelievable what's going on. Uh, Matt Rothschild described it as the most ridiculous, awful display uh, in a democratic legislature in the decades that he's seen. Um, unbelievable. I mean, just complete conspiracy. And you're right, Robert. This whole idea that any of this would be, uh, you know, un, you know, run by folks who were willing to literally overturn the election last year. Uh, just unbelievable, Claire. Any thoughts you have on on uh, what transpired yesterday? And I, let's be clear, this isn't going to end. They're gonna they've they've cleared this committee to have a full investigation. It's just it's unbelievable. But this is our QAnon Wisconsin, Claire.
1: Yeah, I think that. It's very clear from the um, hearings and the focus of the hearings, and um, and, and also the media coverage. Um, I, I think to the media's credit on this topic, that the the Republicans who are leading these sham hearings are just cherry picking the evidence, quote unquote evidence that they uh, want to present. And uh, there's a whole article, for example. Um, written by uh, Patrick Marley from the, I think it's the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel part of the, and might have been spread across the USA Today network in in Wisconsin, um, about how the the hearings are focusing on a few cities like Milwaukee and Green Bay that received um, some private funds to help administer the, the election smoothly. Uh, but in reality, more than 200 communities across the state of Wisconsin, big communities, small communities in democratic areas and Republican areas, all received some private funding to help, uh, make sure the elections ran smoothly. And like I said, that includes, um, Townsend, um, Republican areas, right? Um, I mean, so you have, Places like uh, Janesville and Exonia and Hudson and Palmyra and Marshfield. I mean, right, like.
2: Waukesha County, Claire, Brookfield. Yes. You know, Republican Heartland.
1: Sure. Peshtigo. I mean, like small areas, big areas, right? Rice Lake, Rib Falls. I mean, we're talking about all kinds of places all over the state got this type of funding. And I think the thing that nobody's talking about that makes me so frustrated as well is that if the government, if our state leaders were doing their job and resourcing local communities enough to run smooth elections, this wouldn't be an issue. This is an issue that these legislators and our elected leaders have created. And then when local governments and clerks are forced to bring in and accept resources that are totally legal and totally safe and not affecting the outcomes of the elections at all in order to make sure that the election can just be physically administered smoothly. And then the legislature's like, you created this problem. Look at all the bad jobs that you're doing, right? Like this is a problem that they created and it's a failing of, of our government um, that this quote unquote problem was created. Um, it's It's really super frustrating.
2: So remember, it's all part of a conspiracy to make it harder to vote. Don't fund election infrastructure, right? Then when philanthropists step in to try to fund it, they wouldn't have to fund it if it was well-funded, then claim conspiracy, claim it's about stealing the election. And their view is, you know, absentee ballots and the other things they think or not having voter ID, that only leads to stealing elections in urban areas where there are a lot of black and brown people, right? And not in suburban areas. So this is consistent. I would say on the you know, side of democracy that uh, we were too slow on the original message. They got kind of a, more of a free pass the, the first hearing. But now the record has been put out there and it's extremely clear. The lawyer who filed this who filed two federal uh, court, uh, you know, uh, court cases, and testified in the first hearing? One of the courts, the judges is investigating him, considering sanctioning him for bringing frivolous lawsuit. That's how bad the lawsuit is. They their evidence last time was the Brown County Clerk saying she uh, she had concerns. She never filed a complaint with the election commission. The head Megan Wolf said, and no one did, and they have no evidence that anything bad happened. So they're having a whole hearing series on something that was never even filed as a complaint. And with such a frivolous lawsuit, the lawyer may be sanctioned. That is how both lawsuits were thrown out. That is what it is. So this is along the lines. They're learning from their betters in D.C. This is like the Benghazi hearings. This is like the Ron Johnson hearings into Ukraine being some big scandal. All of that, and it's like the big lie, it's part of the big lie that the election was stolen. So it's very relevant to say that this is the Sedition Caucus, the QAnon Caucus, whatever you wanted. And this Assembly uh, Chair of the Assembly uh, Election Committee Brandogen from Menominee Falls, just awful things they're saying. This is not fact-based and it's a complete political smear, period. But here's the problem, it will work with a lot of folks who are Republican voters, because they tend to believe this stuff because it comes over and over again. It's reinforced on Fox News and they're prepared to believe it. And, they, and they're and they not gonna dig in and they're not gonna believe uh, the, the the public officials or the Democrats or the media trying to counter it because that's also part of the right-wing conspiracy.
0: So we'll continue to track these sham hearings because they're not gonna stop, as Robert mentioned, um, we talked about this as it related to Ron Johnson last week. This is the plan. This is the playbook. This is where they're headed going into next year's election. Um, they are going to play to this base. And, you know, folks that I'll say, it, I think. It's treasonous. I think a number of these folks are treasonous. And the idea that they're continuing to push forward is, you know, it's appalling in many ways, but it is the reality of a gerrymandered legislature that even allows this uh, to go on. But uh, we're going to continue to talk about it on the podcast going forward because, you know, it is very important to at least be clear about what they're doing and just how how it sets up what what their plan is for 2022 election. Um, But with that, folks, please, we have a critical election uh, on Tuesday. We've we've mentioned it here as it relates to DPI, but uh, a lot of you all know where you live, these local elections that are going on uh, in your communities, whether it be on school boards, county boards, um, mayor's races, these are fundamentally important elections, and the work that we do uh, from here on out until Election Day can make a huge difference in some of these low-turnout elections. So I'm making a plea to all of our listeners uh, to get involved this weekend. Um, there is no reason why you can't make phone calls, because uh, you can make phone calls from your home. Many campaigns have set up for you to be able to do that. So want to encourage you. Get out, get active, get involved, get out the vote this weekend and make sure you vote. But with that, our producer is telling me we have to end this podcast. We've got to wrap it up. Get out of here. So it's time to go. We'll see you all next week again. Get out and vote. Thank you, Brian Wildridge, our producer who makes this show happen every week. We'll see you next week at the Battleground Wisconsin.